Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Oh, hi. I'm Pete Wright, the guy your dad could never shut up about. (laughs) Today, we're talking about Minute 60, the one hour mark, which begins with the seed planted and ends with a terrible privilege. Back on the show, author Ryan Dalton is back. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Thrilled to be here. Oh, we are thrilled to have you. This is another of the minutes you've picked. Um, We had you back, uh, I don't know, probably a few weeks ago now. Um, And uh, I just want to find out, what was it about this particular minute that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, um, this is, I think, one of the first minutes that I hunted for to make sure you guys still had it. It, um, It's one of those, it's a snippet of one of the scenes that gave me, like, nerd chills while I was watching the movie. And it's not like a over-the-top scene. It's just, you know, a couple people talking more than anything. But it was one of those scenes that, to me, you know, the lifelong geek who always read these comics never thought I would ever live in an era where I would see an Avengers movie, much less a whole cinematic universe. And I remember so clearly sitting in the theater watching a number of scenes in this movie and being like, oh, man, they're doing it. And it's good. Like, it's <laughs> it's fun. And, and it was just so exciting, again, to see these characters that I, I had read for so many years meeting on screen and interacting for the first time and getting their stories and their energies bouncing off each other. And uh, I, I had mentioned before that, it, to me, it was also gratifying that, it, like, it, it in one movie proved wrong all the people that, that tried to say, oh, you can't combine these heroes in one movie. That doesn't work. And, of course, it does. You just have to do it right. And this was one of those scenes that was such a, a thrill to me to watch and just relax into watching two characters I had loved for a long time just have a scene together. And I mean, two two characters that you've known have a scene together, and also having a conversation to a certain extent about uh, one of the other characters, right? I mean, this is it. I mean, this scene starts in an interesting way. We're just following the moment when Steve has kind of left this, uh, left the Wishbone Lab, a little irritated at Tony, but a seed has been planted by the two of them as far as uh, kind of suspicions about what Shield is up to and the fact that. You know, isn't it a little weird that that uh, this spy organization is is uh, doing all of this stuff? And and as we start this scene, you know, the very first thing we see is, of course, Steve as he exits the Wishbone Lab and has that moment where he uh, it's like he decides to, you know, follow up on this conversation that he just had with them, which is interesting. And then that leads to the conversation between. Uh, between Tony and Bruce as they are talking about him a little bit. Right. Yeah. And it's, I I just, I love the classic archetype of like the, 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 you know, the Steve versus Tony whole clash, you know, that, that, that builds into a friendship, but you know, it's classic having those two kind of bounce off each other. And uh, yeah, seeing that for the first time was great. And I thought it was an interesting sort of was is it a revelation where he when tony says that's the guy my my dad couldn't shut up about uh, to my recollection i don't think we knew how much howard stark admired steve until that moment uh enough for him to have talked about him for years you correct me if i'm wrong it just that's how it hit me well i mean uh, obviously they worked together but um and this is before agent carter where we would have had more howard so i guess all we would have really had as far as our experience of the interactions between Howard and Tony or Howard and Steve were from the first Captain America film. And it wasn't like 
Howard was walking around in constant admiration of Steve or anything like that. It's like, if anything, he was the guy who was kind of coaching this a very naive person on ways to talk to women and things like that. You know, it wasn't, he didn't seem like he was looking at him like, wow, this is this great American hero. So that is an interesting point about like, how did or how did Steve's sacrifice perhaps shift Howard's uh, view of him? That's I I was just going to say something along those lines, Andy, because it sees it feels like like that's the only bit that we have really of of Howard is he in that movie of Howard with Steve in that movie. He turns him into the super soldier and then drops him off for some fondue and uh, mostly (laughs) is like Steve adjacent so that he can hit on Peggy like that really is the the arc of Howard's or the complexity of Howard's participation in Steve's life. But then Steve's sacrifice, he he goes into the ice and suddenly Howard becomes a fan. And I can I can kind of buy that, right? Like having Tony connect the dot here to that point in history makes sense to me that he that that suddenly Howard sees this guy in Steve and probably uses him as a dad, as someone to uh to refer to, talk about, look up to, maybe to the detriment of his relationship with his son, I, I can kind of see that that relationship boiling. Yeah, yeah. and we end up uh, seeing an interesting turn with Tony by the end of the movie. Um, not to skip too far ahead, but um, you know, now he's kind of baffled. Like, well, why did my dad look up to that guy? And then by the end of it, he's describing Steve as a living legend who lives up to the legend. So he, he sort of went his dad's way in in very short form in just spending some time around Steve. Yeah. I'm curious in, in just in a little uh, as a bit of a pivot on this conversation around Tony's relationship, his own relationship with his suit and his heroism, right? Because we've had a, a more significant conversation so far about the fact that Steve is the the hero embodied in his his own physique like he is his hero and tony becomes the hero by donning the suit but this line talking about how the shrapnel the the little circle of light it's part of me now it's not just our honor it's a terrible privilege does it feel like steve is like do you get the sense that he sees his heroism as on par with uh, or do you th- think Tony sees his heroism as on par with Steve? Because as he's referring to, his privilege comes from what is now inside his own body, too. Does that make any sense? Feels like he's trying to draw a parallel. That's interesting. Um, I felt like, I guess, uh, Tony doesn't see himself as a hero. That that could be just my read on the character, at least in this movie. Um, I felt like he hasn't quite grown into being that uh, like he did, especially in a, in the other Avengers. Yeah, like maybe he sees himself as a tool, a useful tool in taking care of business, or or a misfit toy who just happens to be able to help. Um, I think he has a sense of his own kind of brokenness, and because he definitely deals more with that in, in subsequent movies. I don't know. I I don't think he's equating himself with Steve. For one thing, in this scene, I think he's looking down on Steve's naivety. And then I also think he maybe he doesn't view anyone as heroes at this point. They're yeah. just broken, all broken toys who, you know, have to contribute. It's definitely an interesting perspective about the way that Tony sees this group in particular. I mean, he was pretty 
didn't seem overly thrilled to be a part of it. And maybe part of the way that he's looking at the group is because, you know, Fury didn't want him for a time, you know, and and he felt he was just um, he's too headstrong of a person to actually be one of these people who is willing to sacrifice himself. And Tony, I mean, even though we have seen him doing that in in previous films, there is that level of him, uh, you know, I think as he views himself in relation to groups like this. And perhaps there is an element to saying, you know, I I see that people are flawed and I don't necessarily think that there's a hero. And it's that it's that view of, you know, a hero isn't necessarily going to call themselves a hero. And, you know, so he kind of looks at everybody as, you know, we all we all are screwed up. We all have these issues that we have to overcome. And I mean, he certainly he's the guy who's taunting Bruce throughout. Like he's he's not afraid to potentially release Hulk, you know, and it's like there is this level of him of testing, like, what does it actually mean to be a hero? And I, I get I guess we get a little bit of that through the film and, and through these conversations. Yeah, that's interesting. It's obvious in the way he deals with S.H.I.E.L.D. and things about S.H.I.E.L.D. that he doesn't want to take any of this at face value. Whereas I feel like Steve, because of his background, came into this wanting to believe in S.H.I.E.L.D. being kind of an upright organization that was just trying to do the right thing. Tony comes in and doesn't trust any of the surface for any of it, I think. Uh, and that includes S.H.I.E.L.D. and seems to me like it might extend to the heroes as well, where he 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 sees everything as kind of a, a shade of gray. Yeah, and, and this two minutes, th- these minutes right here, this one and the next one, I think, uh, maybe a little bit into the third after that, they really give us a chance to see Steve asking himself the question, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to be a fascist like the rest of these people. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun to see the, to see this, this play out by way of just this conversation. Like you say, it's, it's the, it's a quiet, it's like the introspective moment between heroes that turns into a bit of a, a bicker, but that's a great, great beat. Yeah. That moment with Steve out in the hall is a very important moment, even though it's there's no dialogue and it just lasts for a few seconds. But it's like being around Tony just kind of gets his hackles up. But then when he was able to step outside and get just a second to really think about it, he thought, okay, well, I can't, maybe like Tony's like, I can't be naive, so I need to at least look into this. Yeah. And that's an interesting point anyway about, uh, you know, Steve with his enhanced, uh, all of his enhanced abilities, one of which is kind of his mental acuity as far as, you know, strategizing and, and, you know, working as a part of the team in, in a military sort of situation. The idea that, you know, this isn't something that is necessarily coming to him as something he should be thinking about, I think really speaks to not so much that his enhanced abilities to kind of, you know, strategize and put these sorts of things together. It's not that that's not active. It's just that he came from an era where you weren't necessarily worrying about your government and your leaders uh, being the ones involved in these shadier things. And so it's it's like that sort of thing has, hasn't even crossed his mind. And this is that point when suddenly things start shifting in his head and he starts kind of catching up, I guess you could say, from the 40s to the 2010s. Yeah. And Winter Soldier really picks up that ball and, and runs with it. Uh, again, I always, I always seem to want to jump ahead in other scenes <laughs> of other movies, but, um, but that really, I feel like expands on that, on, on Steve really totally coming to terms with, okay, this is, this is not what I, this is not the world that I served in, you know, in the forties. And, uh, and, 
uh, yeah, I, I really liked that they they dove deep on that and him dealing with that and being in being the man out of time. Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting. Uh, we're also getting some conversation about Loki, uh, and it's interesting because it kind of comes up because you know Tony has this line about uh, uh, kind of a snarky comment about Steve and the, you know wondering if they shouldn't have kept him on ice. And what I like about the way that Bruce handles it is to just pivot the conversation and not even respond to Tony. And I like that he just shifts it to the you know guy's not wrong about Loki. He does have the jump on us and like trying to kind of like move away from that sort of thinking. And that I it's a great little it's very subtle, but it's a great little writing beat as far as giving us a sense of these characters and how they are talking about other characters involved in the story at this point. And I I don't know. I just think that that moments like this, you get those little beats with a with a line and it just it really shines a light on the challenge for writers to craft each character differently and this is a great example of them doing it very effectively yes um even in a scene like this where it's just people talking you want it to accomplish multiple things that's one of the and it's not a secret it's one of the tricks a lot of writers use but i like to use it in every scene even if it's a quiet scene you want it to accomplish multiple things on more than one level uh, it's a good way to keep the audience engaged so in this you're getting a lot of good character stuff with both how they're interacting and even things they're saying that reveal things about themselves but also we are still getting uh, some hints toward the plot, you know, mentioning Loki and kind of keeping our mind focused on on why they're here in the first place. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely functions really nicely on different levels without feeling packed or contrived. It, it still feels like a real conversation between people, but it does move things forward. And I love how it, it is consistent to the characteristics of Tony and his investigation on the helicarrier so far, right? This is the conversational equivalent of him putting little bugs and things all over the the helicarrier. He's just poking and investigating and seeing what he can get out of everybody. Like, I don't get the feeling that at the start of this minute that he's necessarily um, in it for the relationship with Banner. Like, he, I, I I don't feel like he's trying to be friends, but I do feel like at the end we start of the minute we start to get a little bit of a turn on that terrible privilege line that I think is uh, shows uh, starts to peel back another layer, and you know what that turns into, you know, is, is ostensibly what becomes the Avengers. So um, it's solid. Yeah, and you're putting people in a room who, on some level, can und- understand each other in ways that nobody else can. So it, it, yeah, I wonder if maybe part of this with Tony is that he's starting to see that a little bit and, and willing to talk about it a little bit and maybe say things he wouldn't to other people um, because he he knows he has someone on the other side of the conversation that can understand it on his level. It, it's actually, you bring up a really interesting point just as I'm sort of thinking here. Like part of the the ideological worldview of, the these superheroes is that you know and, and we've been talking about steve and and tony in this regard but really it could apply to all of them is the terrible sort of blessing and curse that is these people can't take off their heroism right or they can't take off the mantle of responsibility of being a, a superhero or an avenger like tony yeah he does have it from the suit but he can't take out the arc reactor in his chest or he'll die. He can't take that out. Um, can Black Widow 
take off her history and her training and what is haunting her. She can't, she can't remove that from her and neither that same respect can, can, you know, Hawkeye. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that all of these, these characters, like part of what the subtext is, is that they are cursed with the great power and that, you know, the, the curse of responsibility that comes with great power. Thank you, Peter kind of a trope <laughs> yeah absolutely it's funny that uh you know you mentioned hawkeye and uh, i mean to black widow to a certain extent but she's at least had training i don't know what sort of training uh clint ended up having but of all of them it's interesting that he is here as i guess he's just here as a spy you know and he obviously has had some training but he is very much here without the curse of some strange you know alien power imbued on him or just some other force that has given him this extra power. And so it's interesting that he still feels uh, strong enough that he wants to be here and, uh, you know, be part of this team. Well, Andy, I have a little bit of Marvel Arcana that you might not know that the first time they tried out that superheroic line was not for Spider-Man. It was for Hawkeye. And uh, it, it was it, with great aim comes great responsibility. And they just felt like it didn't have a ring to it as much with great aim. <laughs> Because great responsibility. They tried putting it on a shirt and nobody bought it. <laughs> you know what? That that makes me think of that my mind pinged through a dozen different things there. It made me think of uh, the old, old movie Mystery Men. Oh, yeah. um, oh my goodness. <laughs> where uh, William H. Macy plays the shoveler. Yeah. And my, my one of my favorite parts of the movie is him very earnestly telling his wife, God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. <laughs> that's about that's about it. He can't ever take off the mantle of his ability to shovel. He can't, he I know, can't free there. himself of that. It's always a there. A gift and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> I must. I did I, I brought it. up I brought up Hawkeye just because I, I feel like that's the hardest one to build to, to fit into this mental model, but to some extent he's there and he's there by dint of of training and and missions that he's gone on and the horrors that he's seen like he's the hero uh he and and black widow are are the heroes of ptsd right like they're they're their their power is their trauma and um i i think that's part of what makes the avengers interesting is that there is at least some fuel that comes by way of of their past experience yeah, and maybe because of that, they both have the ability to be thrown in a crazy situation and just go, okay, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> keep going. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, we get um, – as this conversation goes, uh, we do get a cool little moment of tech. I always enjoy seeing the way that they're playing around and giving us different things with their tech. Of course, we've got more of these glass screens as as both Tony and Bruce like are, are – tapping away and swiping things but we do get a cool moment where as bruce is kind of doing some you know changing levels or whatever it is he's doing on his, some of his gamma readings he swipes off of his screen and it uh, it pops onto tony's screen and so it was kind of fun to see that these two systems are so interconnected that we're getting uh that they're able to just kind of exchange information so quickly and 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 visually like that and can I just say that was straight up wizardry when I saw it in the movie theater for the first time. And now I'm a Mac user with like multiple devices next to one another on different operating system platforms. And I could just move my windows back and forward across different devices. And it's exactly this. They made the Marvel OS as far as I'm concerned. It's magic. I can't believe we have it. 
Now they just need to put it on glass and we'll yes. be all the way there. And <laughs> then the Iron Man suit will be the next step. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. right. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, Star Trek was, of course, a, a great um, show for exciting engineers to eventually start designing stuff as, as time progressed. They started yeah. designing stuff that they had seen as kids watching the old Star Trek show. And yeah. it's kind of the same thing where we're watching these things evolve. And it's like, you know, everything is, uh, you know, part of it. Like they, the, the shows inspire people to create stuff and that new technology inspires the filmmakers to design new tech for their uh, projects, which just kind of continues this thing. And it's always fun to see. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, where we where it all goes from here. For sure. Yeah, I, I actually would be curious to see like there, there's the it's kind of a trope now, the, the glass device, you know, that you can work on and see through. And there's always lots of criticism about that. Like nobody needs that. And this, that. I would be curious to use it just to see, is there any advantage to it? I mean, cinematically, the advantage is you can have them working on a screen <laughs> and, and shoot, shoot through them through the screen. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. so I, I understand movie wise what the advantage is, but I've seen it so much on screen. I at least want to try it once just to see if I like it. I just feel like the disadvantage for me and the fear I would have is, you know, I have my phone in my pocket all the time and I generally try to sit down without or removing it from my pocket before I sit just because I don't want it to. I mean, I don't think it's going to do anything, but I would hate to do that with, a, with essentially a piece of glass in my pocket because I feel like just that process would just like would crack it in, in pieces or, you know, and you drop it. I mean, you, you know, if you drop a glass piece it's much different than i suppose dropping your phone where you can get your screen replaced because i suppose if you drop one of these and th it cracks then you're replacing the entire device it just shatters it doesn't yeah. even become a thing it's just it's just <laughs> totally gone yeah i i, I don't know I, I would hope that their glass tech would have advanced as well as their uh their computer tech well, here it is from ProDisplay.com, the transparent OLED display and transparent OLED touchscreen. And it is exactly this. The only difference is the only one they sell is 55 inches in size. And Wow. So it's definitely more of the Minority Report style that they're working yeah. on. So you can have a big yeah. thing in an office or something. And 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 just so we're clear, there is no pricing on the website. If you want to know how much it costs, you have to request the catalog be sent to you. So I don't think they're in a huge hurry to sell these to just Joe computer user. But man, it is beautiful <laughs> on their website. So wow, there it is. There's another thing that they that is now here. It, so if you're a guy at home who wants to watch TV and also see the wall behind the TV yeah. for some reason, then, uh, you know. <laughs> well, all their displays on their website are like, it, it looks like a museum display, right? So you walk up to something at a museum. But for half the people that are on the other side, everything's backwards on it, which seems very strange to me, too. So the utility of like, sure, it's great. I can hang it against the wall and see the texture of my blue paint and behind the wall. Like, that doesn't seem entirely <laughs> useful to me, but it is gorgeous. That wall looks so lifelike to the screen. <laughs> my, I should have filled those holes in the wall that were hidden by my formerly not transparent screen. I wonder if, if that could evolve into some sort of hologram tech where, I mean, if you take a clear TV, stand like stand it on end, thicken it up a little bit, and then project a person in it, um, you know, if you could almost approximate sort of a hologram-ish thing of a person. 
Right, right. Well, I mean, this has, uh, this is just one of those examples that's like, it, it does, you can still see the bezel. It's got a thin bezel around the edge, but you can kind of imagine a bezel-less, like, bottom projection, um, you know, from the base, like, not needing a bezel. It would just be floating in air. That's pretty cool. You kind of see those, those living history monuments, right? Those, uh, that, that sure. you see. I think the Holocaust Museum has them. I think there's a 9-11 museum might have some of those too. I think the real lesson of this is that the three of us are available for hire at Samsung yes. to brainstorm <laughs> new tech. Blue sky ideation, <laughs> we're good for it. We charge very reasonable right. rates. <laughs> because you should know that all of our ideas come out of science fiction of our youth. Exactly. It's purely based on comic books and Star Trek. We have no basis in knowing if the tech exists. <laughs> I would like to have all of my clothes be able to compress down into the size of a ring all the time. So that's next <laughs> on our list. That would be anyway. next. Wrinkle-free. 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 Exactly. Yes. That's that's key. Oh, part. I would I would love to see the the prototype where it comes out all wrinkled. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's a first attempt. That'd be really wrinkly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Going back to the conversation, I want to talk a little bit more about Bruce and Tony because uh, there are a couple other points that I think are, are worth talking about. One, we're still at this point where Bruce feels he is not going to be part of this beyond uh, helping them research the Gamma and find the Tesseract. So that's essentially what he's really – he thinks he's here for. And what I find interesting about this particular moment in the conversation is Tony is talking to him about – uh, suiting up, like you're, you're going to suit up with the rest of us. One, uh, the idea of suiting up in this conversation about like, you know, you're going to be joining us. You're, you're, you know, I don't know if you are going to be able to let this go. I think you're going to want to actually be part of this team. And the other interesting thing is that like we have crossed this line with Tony, which I don't know. I suppose we would say maybe happened at his arrival in Stuttgart, but he is now considering himself a part of the team. You know, he's like with the rest of us. Not just, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting the the way that the wording is here. I mean, how, how does this, what do you two think of this, um, the banter about their positions in the Avengers at this point in time? Tony's an avenging relativist. Like he is, he's clearly in this conversation more Avenger than Banner. So us is appropriate. But if Steve were in there, he might go back to them. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And maybe he feels a little bit more of a kinship with Banner already and is comfortable saying us. Um, yeah, he there, there's a lot of layers packed into this, the couple things that he says. Um, sort of indicating at least what he thought the Hulk experience might be for Bruce before he's educated by Bruce about, you know, what it's really like. You know, that the fact that he calls it suiting up just casually and sort of it, his tone to me sort of indicates he says – you know, maybe you'll suit up with us, but it seems like he thinks it's an inevitability. Like you'll you'll be suiting up with us, but then, then when you know he hears a little bit about, well, yeah, it's not it's not so easy for me <laughs> to, to suit up. Uh, that's a great moment I love, and uh, I feel like that comes back a little bit, and we see how maybe that's produced some empathy in Tony at the point. Again, I'm jumping ahead where where Bruce confesses that he tried to kill himself. There's a shot. 
you know, you see the shots of the rest of the team looking at him while he's telling them what happened. And there's a shot of Tony, and if you freeze it, he's just, I mean, he, he, his eyes looked like he could practically be on the verge of tears. He's not, but they just, it, there's a lot of empathy in that look when he's looking at Bruce. And it, it's one of those things that's never commented on. It just comes and goes, but it's definitely, what Bruce is saying is definitely making an impact, even though, even though Tony's being his flippant self. Well, I feel like a lot of that really seemed to start coming, you know, I don't know, when Bruce uh, and Tony are having that scientific exchange back in the conference room, right, at the conference table, as they start talking about the Kulum barrier and all these things. And Tony, like, finally has that moment where he can click with somebody. And he even says in that scene is like, finally, somebody who talk who speaks English. And that perhaps is this connection with a a, a like-minded person and he's finally in that place where and you know I, I think that you just said it best pete where he is kind of this relativist where with all of the rest of them who clearly didn't do the reading you know he felt like he was above all of them and with bruce suddenly he's in this place where he's like oh okay you know what if the, if you're on the team i could see me being a part of that team yeah and yeah, i could yeah. actually make this into something that could be something that i would want to do and i think that's interesting because this is that conversation where he's kind of having those having those words with with Bruce about like yeah we could do this and he does start feeling that empathy here about i mean it's it's powerful the way that Bruce says you know i'm exposed like a nerve which sounds terrible and then tony kind of takes that and it, there is that empathetic reaching out kind of explaining his own issues here so i i i like that sense that Bruce is the in that needed to be here for Tony to suddenly say, you know what, I think I could actually do this. Well, and, you know, there's this other vector, too, which is that they've just learned more. And Tony was on site with Loki and had actual, like, engagement with him. And uh, I, I think there is there is something to the fact that maybe Tony is learning and maybe some of some of the reality of the situation is also sinking in. That's a great point, yeah, because uh, he, he he's literally tangled with an Asgardian at this point, at, at least to, to some point. So. And, and the last time when he was trying to get out of the whole thing, he hadn't actually hung out with him or hung out with an Asgardian at all before that moment. Yeah, and I like that thought about him sort of seeing at first uh, uh, sort of a kindred spirit in, in Bruce. Um, you know, it's like if you're if you just meet someone and then they mention some nerd reference that you you love and is not well known, you might think, oh, maybe we'll get along. Yeah. Um, but then as they learn about each other, it goes, you know, a little bit deeper. And yeah, it's one of those relationships that's kind of in, in the, the background. It carries a lot of, I think, the character freight here of kind of getting everybody invested. And uh, yeah, I just really like it. Again, in the other episodes I was on, I talked about how they accomplish things with an economy of words and storytelling and this is another great example of that you really convey a lot of character here when you put people in a room together and let them interact and see what comes out now it's uh it it's a strong scene and and uh, this is these are those sorts of moments that for me really stand out as the well-written character beats that give us a sense as to why this group is able to kind of come together so i really like it agreed there is a Looney Tunes reference here, although it's not necessarily Looney Tunes, but we do reference the Acme Dynamite Kit, uh, which, you know, is kind of fun for Tony to throw that out there. I was dig doing some digging as to, into the uh, the origins 
of Acme and the Acme Corporation. Um, while the Acme Corporation is a, of course, fictional company that was very prominent in the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote um, Looney Tunes cartoons. Uh, in fact, the first time it was mentioned was their second cartoon together called Beep Beep from 1952. Uh, but Acme itself is actually a term. Acme means uh, peak or zenith or prime. It comes from Greek. So it really kind of means the best. And it's actually kind of a joke in the um, the Looney Tunes uh, cartoons where their their slogan is quality is our number one dream which is kind of funny uh, <laughs> oh that's awesome. i did not know that how many looney tunes have i seen and i could not have told you that right that's good that's like portal level humor totally. if you guys have ever played the portal, portal games <laughs> yes the, the, the cake is a lie yeah, that's that level of of uh, subversion. Um, wow. Yeah, and uh, um, I'm forgetting. I'm not grasping the word. Um, but yeah, that that's that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but what's uh, what's interesting is, and I didn't realize this. Acme, uh, as a term, had been around a lot longer than uh, before uh, before Looney Tunes started using it. It was in. It kind of became a name for. Um, you know, in-house brands like at Sears, places like that in the early 1900s. It was in the 1920 Buster Keaton short film Neighbors. And it just was kind of this generic term for uh, for a lot of different things through its through the early 1900s. And uh, and so it was uh, it was only because they uh, I think Chuck Jones actually said when it came to picking the name it was one of those things where it was uh when they would look under uh in the in the yellow pages it was always one of like the first terms because of that ac at the beginning of the letters and so they just wanted to pick something that was i don't know it's a very strange reason but they just wanted to pick <laughs> so something good. that was at the top of the phone book so. <laughs> it's like uh, doing an internet search, internet search these days and just taking the first yes. uh, result if you like <laughs> we're going with That's, that that'll work that'll work so <laughs> But that's uh, that's Acme, which we get here. So kind of a fun little reference, again, speaking to Loki and the fact that, you know, he has this Acme dynamite kit, meaning in the Looney Tunes uh, term, uh, it is something that will kind of blow up in his face, as he says. So I think that it's actually a really funny tie in, Brian, to Portal. Like what their the company name was Aperture Science, another A. Aperture Industries. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we yeah. do what we must <laughs> because we can. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> it's yeah. If anyone wants a, a good laugh, they they made mock commercials with J.K. Simmons. Yes, uh, and those are still on YouTube, and they are hilarious. Uh, just a complete yes, yeah, subversion of like the whole. It, it, well, you know, you know what it reminds me of. I don't know if you guys ever saw. Uh, there was a short-lived show called Better Off Ted. Yes, um, where he worked for. I mean, pretty much an overtly comically like cartoonishly evil corporation and it, yeah it made me think of stuff like that um so yeah if anyone wants uh, a good laugh go watch those videos so good well that is pretty much the end of our minute we get down to it's a terrible privilege and that's where things wrap up um any last thoughts from either of you about anything going on in this minute calm before the storm baby calm before the storm very true yeah um 
I think this is my last minute with you guys, and so I'll just echo that I love this movie. <laughs> As I've said in every episode uh, that, that I've been on for this uh, this movie, I just I th- well, this was the make or break. If this movie was terrible and tanked, I don't think we'd have an MCU today. Yeah. Um, and I'm just uh, so glad that it was as good as it was. How would you rank the four Avengers films? Oh boy. Um, I'd still overall probably probably rank this one first just because of the solely because of the thrill of experiencing it for the first time and it being the first of its kind really um I would say the just because my yeah my memories of it are all, are all tied up in that having said that my all-time favorite scene in the entire MCU was in Endgame with Cap picking up the the hammer and and uh and wailing on Thanos um so I'd say that's probably my favorite scene, but just for, for pure joy, I, I think this one is, is probably still my favorite. Awesome. And then, and then, uh, where would you go below that? Like if this was first, um, let me see. I'd say, yeah, this first, um, and I, I'd probably put, um, yeah, in game and then maybe, um, infinity war, and then, I, you know, a lot of people bag on uh, Age of Ultron, and it does have its flaws. But even though I, I probably would rank it last among the Avengers movies, there's still plenty that I, I really enjoyed about that one, too. So I don't view any of them as a bad time. I, I would happily watch any of them. Um, but, yeah, that's probably how I'd rank them. It's tough, but okay. I think that's a, I think that's a solid ranking. So I think Andy re- is one of the people who bags on Ultron. I'm actually really anxious to get into Me? that. Aren't you? <laughs> are, aren't you what? one of the noted antagonists no. of Ultron? I have never really. Said that. Wait a minute. So, what is your ranking? <laughs> well, I'd need to rewatch Ultron again, but <laughs> I, 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 I fluctuate between Infinity War and Endgame. But I'd probably at this point put Infinity War first, and then Endgame, and then Avengers, and then Ultron. But it might be Ultron and then Avengers. My problem is I, it's hard for me to have any ranking of Avengers movies and not include some Captain America movies. Like, I feel like without including Civil War, or not Civil War, without including Winter Soldier, that is such a big part of so much of the rest of the narrative for me that getting us into the other Avengers movies at the end that I, I struggle with that. But I, I, I think I'm with you, Ryan. Like, I think Ultron is probably my least favorite. I still have a really good time with it. Like, there are just so many worse movies that exist than Ultron. Oh, yeah. It's still a lot of fun. And, yeah, I definitely, you know, they made some mistakes, and I think trying to front load too much other exposition in the movie and things. But even despite the flaws, it's still a very competently done movie and has a lot of good, fun moments and still rises above a lot. And I've I've got no strings on me is is like straight up sinister. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, oh, uh, by the way, if anyone wants another good laugh, uh, if you go on um, YouTube and search Ultron California, um, you can find uh, people have dubbed over Ultron scenes with uh, James Spader's lines from when he was on The Office. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and it it is also hilarious. Amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. So funny. I'll find all of that. I'll put some links in the show notes for everybody for this episode. So you can check all that out. Well, Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, contributing to this uh, season. We certainly appreciate you joining us for the five minutes that you did. Lots of fun talking with you. And, uh, you know, we've we've had a lot of fun. A lot of great conversations. 
Oh, well, yeah, I appreciate you having me. It was a blast and a thrill every time. Tell everybody about uh, your books and where they can look for them. Right. So uh, my first books were uh, called the Time Shift Trilogy, Series of Time Travel Mysteries. Those are a little bit older, so um, they're probably easiest to find digitally pretty much anywhere. Uh, my latest release that just came out uh, about a year ago is called This Last Adventure. And uh, that uh, is, uh, yeah, that one's brand new. So it's uh, available uh, wherever your favorite books are sold. If it's not on the shelf, they can order it for you. Fantastic. Well, well, you can check those out. Uh, We'll have the links in the show notes uh, so you can look there and also other places to find Ryan out there on the internet. And if you're not seeing your show notes in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com, and you can see everything there. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with, uh, I think we have uh, James Anderson and Colin Parker from the uh, Timeline Scavengers joining us tomorrow. So we'll have a great conversation with them about Minute 61. So, Pete... Thanks, as always. That's right, Andy. Tomorrow, Steve Rogers, Snoop Super sniffs a (laughs) cover-up. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.